You're listening to Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. In the blue corner, we've got Mr. Carl supporting Tottenham. In the red corner, we've got Mr. Kenner's supporting Arsenal. Together, they will be discussing all of your football views, all of your football news. So join us here on Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar, the football podcast. I'm Chris Carl. I'm joined, would you believe, Steve Kenner's Kenton is back. Hello, Steve. Good morning, Chris. Uh, it's nice to be back. All right, lovely to see you. Well, it isn't, but it's nice to have you back, I have to say. Now then, I've, we've got Jeff Saunders, our West Ham fan here as well. Hello, Hi, Jeff. Chris. Good to be here. As usual, you've got a trivia question for us. In a match between Swindon and Accrington Stanley, two players got into a fight. Unsurprisingly, they were both sent off. They both have famous names. Right. The Swindon player who was sent off was called James Dean. What is the name of the Accrington Stanley player who was sent off? All right, famous names, two players sent off. Accrington Stanley against Swindon. We'll have the answer to that at the end of the show. Jeff, speaking of trivia questions, <laughs> which of these is the least likely? You're going to like this. Eric Bailey hitting a shot that went out of the stadium. Giroud playing 90 minutes without touching the ball. Or Spurs going 58 seasons without winning a title. Oh, very funny, Steve. Thank you very much. I think we're going to move on. We're not going to bother with yours, Steve. You bitter, twisted man. I am. (laughs) It's part of being a Tottenham fan. Um, So let's move on, because there's been an international break, which we'll come to very shortly. However, there's there's still been some action in and around the Premier League. First of all, I'd like to talk about Javi Gracia, who has been sacked, been sacked by Watford. Uh, We're just four games into the... um, Premier League season. They've reappointed Chico Flores Sanchez. Both Gracia and Sanchez are Watford's best managers in the Premier League. The thing about Watford, Jeff, is that since December 2013, it's only six years, they've had nine managers, Flores now twice, August to October 2014, so that's what, three, four months of the season. They had four, four managers. Mm. In, that, in four months. Yes. Not yeah. stable, is it? Well, it's, it's not stable, and I think sacking Garcia is, is ridiculous, to be honest. There has not been enough that's gone wrong to, to warrant it yet. It's too early. Mm. We did say that, you know, at the beginning of the season that Watford might be one to watch, but we didn't think we'd be watching them destroy themselves or implode, Steve. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think we're going to see a rash of these sackings, though, not just at Watford. I think, I think you know, you're going you're gonna to see... By the time we get halfway through the season, you're going to see probably half the t- half the teams in the Premier League sack their managers, quite honestly. But Watford seem to have become experts at it. Nine managers in six years. How are the players even supposed to understand the style of play, the tactics, all those kind of things? You know, they're not going to be given long enough to, to settle in, and they are bottom of the league currently. Yeah, I th- well, I think you just touched on on the issue, the the difference between the clubs who've who've got a plan and who who have employed the people like directors of football to implement that plan, and those that don't. And Watford clearly don't have a plan. They're like uh, you know Manchester United, like Watford with O levels, aren't they? They're both the same. They oh, we want to win as much as possible. Well, yeah, okay, but how? And they don't have an answer to the how. Yeah, but Jeff, half the teams in the Premier League don't have a plan. I mean, you, Newcastle is a prime example. You know, God no, one minute they're, they're the worst team in the Premier League. The next thing you know, they're, they're on fire. I think the issue for Newcastle is they do have a plan and, it, and it's a very well-worked-out plan. 
Ashley has to make as much money as possible. And I think he's succeeding very well in that. And, you know, the new TV deals, the last two new TV deals have basically bailed him out. The, you know, the issue is to people say, well, why are you asking for 400 million for Newcastle? And the answer to that is because that's the amount of money it will take to compensate him for the money he'll lose from the TV deals. I mean, Mike Ashley's going to be looking north of the border anyway. I mean, he, he wants Champions League football ultimately as a... As as an owner, I, th- I think he's probably they probably misheard him because he'd be getting championship football, but not Champions <laughs> League. <laughs> yeah, but don't forget he's involved with Glasgow Rangers, isn't he? So, so the, there is absolutely zero chance of Champions League football. There's there's no way. I mean, you know, the, the only way Glasgow Rangers will get within a million miles of Champions League is if in the the twenty twenty four round where they create the European Super League, Glasgow gets two clubs in it. And that's the only way that's going to happen. They're a little better than... I was going to say they're a little better than semi-professional, but they're just a bit better than that. They're, they're hopeless. I mean, we saw that last week in the match against Celtic. They're playing at home. They were absolutely hopeless. The comparisons with Newcastle on the pitch were extremely valid too. Both of them completely hopeless. Do we think... All right, then, it's early in the season. Do we think either or both Watford and Newcastle are going to go down? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Now, I know, Steve, you're delighted and... For one day, at least, you were a very big fan of Newcastle United when they very unexpectedly beat Tottenham at the uh, beautifully named Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, We can have a little chat about that in a moment. But you obviously, as an Arsenal fan, were delighted to see that and revelled in my misery. But is that that's just a blip, surely? That's not the new... What, revelling in your misery is a blip? Yes. No, it's not a blip. (laughs) I like revelling in your misery. No, I meant the blip for Tottenham, right? Oh, oh, that. Uh, uh, No, I don't think it probably was a blip for Tottenham. They have a lot of blips. No, you know... (sighs) Tottenham always the bridesmaids never the bride you know we shall see what happens for the rest of the season but that was a very odd game but are Newcastle destined to go down oh absolutely yeah I I think for me the only question is how many points they win whether they go down as the bottom club or second bottom club and I don't think Watford will be there in the bottom three at the end because their squad is too good those players they're good players they have got good players the thing I don't understand you get rid of Chico Flores because he wasn't good enough they sack him because they, they thought they could do better. They get another couple of managers in. Before the clock struck 12, they get another manager in and so on. And then they go back to Flores and say, you know what, you're the best manager we could possibly have at this point. And they get him back again. What? I mean, he hasn't changed, has he? He's, he's been manager at, uh, I think he was at Espanyol and then at a Chinese club. So what, has he learnt something in the interim period that's made him a better manager? Chinese? But, <laughs> <laughs> but why have they suddenly decided that he's a good manager again? I don't think they have. I think it's a case of the grass isn't necessarily greener on the other side. And he is probably the best manager available at that point in time. As long as that doesn't mean that eventually Tim Sherwood will go back to Tottenham, I'll be all right. Oh, tactics, Tim. <laughs> Bring back tactics, Tim. Now, <laughs> tactics, Tim. I think one of the issues is, is, the, is the structure of the ownership of Watford. And they're tied in with other clubs in, in Italy and, and Spain, mm. I think it is. So th- this move might turn out to be you know, a positive move for Gracia. He gets a, a bigger job somewhere else. You, you don't know. It's, it's, it's a very odd situation at Watford. Going back to Tim Sherwood, he was an Arsenal supporter, wasn't he? Was he now? Oh, he was. He was the best. He was the best manager we ever had. I tell you. Well, yeah, he was. I knew as a Tottenham fan. I knew there was no good would come about it. Oh, he yes. and Adebayor uh, were saluting each other every time Adebayor scored, like they were best mates at school. 
you know, they're both going through puberty and having a bit of a laugh. It well, was every it was time not Ad- Adebayo scored. So yeah, they, they did, well, it, they did it twice. Then they did it mm-hmm. twice. Yeah, because it wasn't a habit. I have to say, it wasn't a regular thing. Jeff, thank you for that. Mm. But Adebayo did flourish under him for a short period of time. But like with any manager, with very few tactics and very little understanding of the game or experience it faded very quickly I, do you know I was just thinking about Spurs' previous managers they've had several that have been Arsenal supporters ironically enough sorry I just wanted to put that in there yeah, I'm shoehorning as much in as I can because I've had to catch up a little bit you, have, you, know, you, haven't, had a, you haven't managed to uh, rinse me out for a while cause no, 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 no how was the Champions League for you by the way better than it was for you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe these um, these Arsenal supporters managing Spurs make up for Herbert Chapman managing Arsenal. Herbert Chapman being a t- great Tottenham fan, which is why you have white sleeves on your shirt. You're absolutely correct. He was indeed, but we won three titles. Well, we won two titles under Chapman. The third one, unfortunately, he died. So basically, Tottenham fans are better managers than Arsenal fans, is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. As long as they're managing Arsenal rather than supporting them. Uh, that makes no sense. <laughs> At least not in my world. <laughs> not as not any of this uh, conversation because I think it's time to move on. We had a little yeah. chat, chat about Watford. We do think they're better than at least three other teams. So we all Who, think what, they're going to stay up. Watford are better than three other teams in the league, so they will stay I don't know, up. I, I think. I, you I've think they're going to drop? I think, Steve? I think they're going to drop. You know, everybody who New, thinks Newcastle, Newcastle are going to go down, down say yeah. aye, aye, aye. Right. Yeah. So everybody thinks Newcastle go down. There's two more spots. I mean, we're four games in. You know, it's it's September. From, we're a long from way what, off. It's only from what we've seen so far. I mean, Brighton. I think Brighton are going to go as well. No, I can. I think Graham Potter is a very good manager, and he's everything he's done so far. They have looked very, very good. They'll, they'll be they'll be okay. Maybe sixth from bottom, they'll be all right. What about New, Newcastle? Are doomed. What, what what about West Ham, Jeff? No, West Ham will be top, <laughs> will be top, top, top ten. Top ten. No, I, I actually I actually think they could be in the top seven. To be honest yeah. with you, yeah. I, th- I think they're good enough. But br- I, d- I can't see Brighton being relegated or what or Watford, Norwich mm. probably. I don't know. Norwich are scoring. I mean, they're scoring a lot of goals. They can't keep a, a yeah, clean sheet. They can't but keep a clean sheet. And at the end of the day, that's what does. Mm. It's if they if they can sort out their defensive issues, I think Norwich are a very very good side. Yeah, they're a very attractive side to watch and and very good going forward. But you've got to have a defence, and they don't. No, no. But then, then then other candidates. Palace. I think Palace will stay up. Yeah, Palace will stay. As you know, Zaha, Zaha can stay fit. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a big if. All right, so you know we think between us, we think Norwich, we think Newcastle. We're disagreeing on the third place. You're mm. saying Brighton, Steve. Yeah. Uh, Jeff is shaking his head. He thinks Brighton will stay up. I think Brighton will stay up. The third place is a little bit more difficult, but it's going to be Newcastle, Norwich, and one other. One other. Yeah. One other. Mm. Possibly. I mean, I don't know. We we haven't really mentioned Sheffield. We haven't mentioned um, Spurs. Uh, come on, Steve. Look at the finish <laughs> above you. That's a given. <laughs> well, let's m- move on before he even gets a chance to put a word in there. You've got a director of football at Arsenal. It's something a lot of clubs have. We've talked about this before on the radio show we all do at uh, 93.6 Global Radio here on the Costa del Sol. We've talked about strange search that uh, Ed Woodward has for a director of football, interviewing or talking to or being approached by all of those things. Among others, Rio Ferdinand. The job of director of football, perhaps I can't go to you for this one, Jeff, because uh, you spoke about this on the radio show. They have in their phone 
contacts of agents and players. They've got to have a working knowledge of who's available, who plays where, who th- and all this kind of thing, right? Right, they do. And like, like Edu, because uh, Edu is a very good example of this, those contacts have got to be outside Europe as well as inside Europe because so many of these players come from the South American countries and you need, you need the contacts there. But the, the phone book is, is not the answer to the problem. It's, it has to go along with the plan. You need a plan. You have to say, right, this is how we are going to play. And then you get the director of football that can put in place all the things to allow that to happen. Arsenal, they've made the right step. They've appointed Edu, who has a great track record in that position. So great, that's going to work. But, uh, you know, take Manchester United. They are The difference between Manchester United and City and Liverpool is what we're talking about. City and Liverpool have a plan. And they put in place the people to implement the plan, and they're doing it extremely well. And that's why nobody is, is questioning the fact that those two will be the top two at the end of this season. Yeah, we didn't cover that, did we? They, but, they um, have a plan, and they're implementing it, and it's going extremely well. Manchester United do not have a plan other than we will be the biggest club. club so it's fantastic. I mean, Woodward has had a, a, a blinding season. It, people think that... Manchester United didn't do very well over the, the, the transfer window. They did brilliantly. They signed a new global mattress partner. <laughs> no, they did. And, and they, they signed Remington. I'm not kidding. This, I think, is Global Electrical Grooming Partner. So, oh that, was, so that was a Lord. blinding deal. Well, here's so something. Footballers? Oh, 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 no, so I didn't get around to that. Well, that's actually, you mentioned that, and bear that in mind for later on in the show, uh, because we are going to talk about... Is football better now, or is it was it better back in the day? You know, people say back in the day. I don't know what it actually means, but it must have been a very busy day because a lot mm. seems to have happened to a lot of my friends who say back in the day. But we are mm. going to look at football then and now, which is better. That is not an indication of how football's got better. No, international um, male grooming partner. Glo- <laughs> global. Global. Oh, global. Don't, beg your pardon. Global. Electrical grooming, electrical, electrical grooming partner, yeah, Steve. Yeah. I mean, well, is which is which has left them the space for a non-electrical grooming. Partner. Ah, clever. Yeah, <laughs> see, see it's Woodward. He's very clever. Very clever. He's yes. left the space yeah, in there. Yeah. So they'll have a electrical grooming partner, and then they'll have a natural grooming partner, which is you know Remington steel blades or something. Steve, Re- Remington steel. What with Pierce Brosnan? Don't you remember the TV series Remington Steel? It does ring a you bell. You came out with it. it I'm, ju- I'm, just, I'm just wondering who David Louise and uh, Gwendozi's uh, grooming partner is. Lots of hair. He looks a bit like, if you're watching the, the, from a distance, you, you think, you th- uh, th- I was watching Arsenal the other, the other week at, with, with Jeff against Tottenham, and I was watching him, and for a few split seconds, I kept thinking, David Luiz is looking a much better player than he used to, and then I realised it wasn't him. <laughs> no, he's, he's the character from The Simpsons, Sideshow Bob. They, that's what they used to call David Luiz, isn't it? And he's, he's obviously been sur- surpassed. There. The, fact, the thing is, I mean, we've had Joe Hart advertising head and shoulders. They really have missed a trick, the makers of head and shoulders, in relation to not either picking up David Luiz or, or Gwendozi. I mean, all that hair, it's light, it's bouncy. I mean, you just don't get hair like that. Let's go back to this thing about CEOs and directors, though, directors of football, because, mm. Steve, Manchester United won Edwin van der Sar. We all remember his hits from the 70s. No, he was the, the goalkeeper for... <laughs> 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 he was the goalkeeper for, for Manchester United. Uh, he's now CEO of Ajax, and he's 
got a director of football there, Mark Overmans. Now, between them, they're performing the duties of Ed Woodward, if you like, and director of football. They've turned a profit of over 200 million in the last couple of seasons for Ajax. They've got to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. They've, they've managed to make a profit with all these, you know, Math Delight and, um, and Frankie and De Jong and all these players, Frankie De Jong. They've made a lot of money. They've, they've won the title. They've got to the quarterfinals. They're happy. They're doing well. Mm. Why would Edward van der Sar go to a mess like Man United? What can he expect? And what does the Arsenal director of football do? And is he <laughs> what, doing what, a good what, job? What, answering the first question first, what can Edwin van der Sar expect? A very, very big paycheck. Does he need Does he need the hassle for that? Well, He's CEO of Ajax. But it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, Manchester, you know, I mean, as good as Ajax are, and Ajax, actually, for my money, were the best team in the Champions League. Don't forget they had to come through, as Jeff mentioned. Yeah, they came through through qualifiers, didn't they? Yeah, but they were the best team in the Champions League, and it's it's just the way the cookie crumbles. It was a Liverpool Spurs final, sadly, really. But, you know, Van der Sar, I mean, look, Manchester United, Ajax, which is the bigger club, and I'm not just talking about on the pitch, but the overall construct, it's Man United every single time. Man United is a worldwide entity. It's got... Probably, well, it's in the top three fan bases on the planet. You know, why would you not go to Man United, even when they're in a mess? If you were at Edwin van der Sar, Edwin Star, if you were his, um, if you were his mate, you'd say, yeah, take that job. What job? It, it, we're talking here, I guess, about rumours. What what job do the rumours say van der Sar is? Director is, of football. Right, director of football. Okay, that's very different from being chief executive of a company. Right. Edward Woodward is the chief executive of the company and executive chairman as well. So there is Manchester United, the big overall company, and football is part of that. So he will become director of football. Is, is he the best qualified person for that job? I don't know. Why don't they go for Mark Overmars, who's the director of football at Ajax? You know, yeah, he, he's actually doing the if, same job right now. If, yeah. if Van der Sar is chief executive, then he's chief executive of the overall company. Surely Manchester United need a director of football. But the thing they need before that is they need a plan. They need to decide what are we going to look like? How are we going to play? And then hire the director of football that can make that happen. Yeah, but it's not inconceivable that um, that Mark Overmars was actually approached in the first place. I mean, don't forget, Arsenal were looking for a director of football and Mark Overmars was approached. He turned them down as well. So it's quite possible the Man United have actually approached him. I mean, look, we've, we've got Edu at Arsenal and I'm, I'm very satisfied with Edu being at Arsenal. He knows the industry inside out he and as you said earlier on Jeff he knows South American football and it's important to know that market because we're getting more and more players coming in from that that area yeah that's a very valid point because if you look at Ajax and they they lost De Jong and Delete and they've replaced them with two South Americans who are absolutely brilliant and for a total cost of 16 million and these are great players who are next season people are going to be bidding for close to 100 million for them now interestingly south america that that market is that important there was two south americans playing for the bulgarian national side wasn't there there was a uh, marcelino and there was uh what was it wonder wonder wonderlust but they had two brazilians playing for them so you know they uh, even other co- international sides are recognizing that market as well but the the wonderly guy he's what he's 33 years old and the best team he's ever played for is rostov on don so in those two specific exactly in those two specific examples it doesn't 
it doesn't support your case. But your case is absolutely correct. Those two examples don't actually prove it. <laughs> but but if anyone wants to go on, on online and look at the newspaper reports about the Brazilian club Gremio, do it because they've got the most fantastic academy and the best way of operating. And you look at players who are coming into Germany, coming into Portugal, and you look at where they start, it's nearly always Gremio. Since you mentioned Gremio, I'm just going to give a shout-out to my mate Iron Maiden's old lead singer, Paul Diano, who absolutely hates Gremio. He's a Corinthian supporter. How does the lead singer of Iron Maiden, hello to you, uh, how does he end up supporting... <laughs> the old lead singer, the, the original lead... Well, the original, the, on yeah. the first two albums. Why is he a Corinthians fan and not a Tottenham he's, fan he's got, he's got um, a lot of South American connections. He's very. He's, oh, he's right. so okay. no, 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 not nothing Rock like that. Roll. No, he's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I believe he holds a. I believe yeah. he holds a Brazilian passport, but yeah, I could okay, be wrong yeah, on that. Yeah. And apologies if I got that wrong, Paul. Can he set me up with some Brazilian connections? Yeah. So, so and some Bolivian marching powder. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Well, hello to him, and uh, sorry for having to joke at your expense there. But that's interesting that you would actually hate a team like Gremio. Gremio, yes, thank because you. you're a, su- a supporter of a team in Sao Paulo. Paolo, 6,000 yeah, miles Yeah, that's away. incredible. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that, that's commitment, isn't it? Does he actually fly out there to watch them, do you think? No, Steve's shaking his head. All right, well, thank you very much for that. <laughs> no, I, I suspect when he was in Brazil, he, he was going to see them. But, you know, really? I'll have to ask him when I speak to him next. Really, would have to get him on the show. That would be fun. Yeah, he has, I have actually asked him. He has agreed to come on at some point. Fantastic. Once we can set up the, um, uh, you know, the two cups and a piece of string to yeah, link up from where he, right. where he is. Brilliant stuff. All right. Well, look, you know, that's director of football. You did mention there Bulgaria, Bulgarian players. We'll move on now to international football in the middle of an international break as we record this, just so you can you know, fit the time slot in. We are recording this in the afternoon before the England take on Kosovo, who Gareth Southgate, probably rightly, sees as a bigger threat or more difficult team to overcome than Bulgaria. I mean, Bulgaria... I mean, I watched the game. They're an old team. First of all, they're a very old team. Uh, they were facing a very young and sprightly and, you know, very attacking-minded England. I mean, the first half wasn't great, but again, you know, they came out the second half and uh, looked very good, did England. Harry Kane got a hat-trick, two penalties. And this is what I want to talk about, is the, the, the penalties, because... Not we're not going to we're not going to start with the Arsenal and Tottenham penalty because we'll be here for we'll be here till next week. The penalty that wasn't Steve. Well, you mean you mean Tom when Tom Daly went over came, but he got two oh, legitimate penalties against Bulgaria. Gary Lineker on Twitter was saying, you know, this is incredible. He, Harry Kane has now scored nine out of ten. That's ninety percent conversion rate, by the way, for club and country. Lionel Messi sixty six percent. So better at penalties than Messi if you want to compare directly like that. And Gary Lineker said, incredibly, he was captain of, uh, played for England, was designated England penalty taker for eight years, 80 matches, 80 games. He got five penalties and scored four of them. Now, he was saying, you know, it's incredible that Harry Kane has got got this, this many penalties for England so far. Harry Kane said he takes up to 50 penalties every training session because... England are a very young, very energetic, very fast and skillful team and therefore are in and about the box a lot and are very likely to get awarded penalties. So that brings me to the big topic of discussion for today. Is football better now than it was back in Lineker's day and beyond that back to Pelé, George Best and further back, Stanley Matthews if you like. Steve, you you love your retro football. You have that nostalgic air about you. Is football better now or was it better then and why? We're going to set up a little debate here between the three of us. First of all, are you calling me old on the basis that... uh... Yes. Oh, right, Okay. (laughs) 
fair, fair comment, harsh but fair. We all look through the past, look at the past or at any given era with rose-tinted spectacles. There is always, always a particular era where we loved our football more than than any other period in time. For me, you know, it was late seventies early 80s world cup 78 absolutely loved it you know probably right through to 19 probably right through yeah probably right through to 1990 i would suggest and then for me as a spectacle it went slightly on a decline and then when sky injected their billions into football then for me it kind of lost some of that romance if you like was football better football's evolved i mean you know in the 70s the 80s and prior to that we're playing on quagmires of pitches the balls were heavier the skill level i th- i think i mean when you're controlling a ball in a quagmire that weighs nearly half a ton that take that takes a special kind it's of skill that it's it's a real gift that possibly players today couldn't necessarily do given the way that they play with uh, on you know uh, perfect pitches Pristine, and light yeah. balls you know the boots alone I mean we've all wore football boots you know when we were kids they weighed a ton you could kick the ball you wouldn't break your foot nowadays you can quite easily break your foot kicking a football because the, the boots are so light they're so flimsy so it's it's a different sport Okay, first of all, it is, is, is apples and oranges. I'm going to come to Jeff for his opinion in a moment. But may I humbly suggest to you, Steve, that the reason, you know, you look back to that period, the late 70s, early 80s, you know, you're, you, you loved football as it was then, better than now. Now, I can suggest that, you know, it's because we, you know, we associate different things with parts of our life. Mm. It wasn't necessarily the football, but where you were at in your life. Young, free, single, discovering all the things of life and enjoying life without responsibilities. Therefore, everything possibly seemed better. And that's why you look back uh, on, on football in that way from that time. I was nine years old. I, was, I, I hope I would have been single. <laughs> first thing, the, the first you know, association, football. Um, <laughs> The first association for you. But secondly, you mentioned Sky, and I'm going to come to Jeff, injecting all the money and everything. Possibly, I mean, I remember as a young, very young child, maybe nine years old, listening to an England World Cup qualifying game and listening to, and it was from, you know, Azerbaijan or somewhere, and listening to it on the radio. This crackling commentary in the background, they're going, oh, you know, it's 90 degrees here at nine, nine o'clock at night in Azerbaijan, but the rain is pouring. And it was all very romantic and distant and exotic. Now, you can watch football from anywhere in the world, any time of day, seven days a week. You, you can watch training sessions on Arsenal TV. You can, you can always put, pick up everything. So it's because of the fact it's so accessible and so publicised and so monetized, if you like, does that take away some of the the intrigue or mystery away from it so now you're immune to the the, the, the beauty of it well you become you know o- I mean. yeah, it's, we, we've become oversaturated I mean you've, you've hit on a really good point actually commentary now if you listen to commentary you know when we were growing up and you listen to commentary now the commentary now is very very good I'm not knocking commentators in any way shape or form but there was it seemed as though there was it was more descriptive they had to be more descriptive because there wasn't so much access you know we only had three four channels football wasn't on every second of the day you know we didn't have youtube so back then they they did actually have to be more descriptive in my opinion i mean now you get you also the change in language as well you know the common the way you know we see a commentator say oh that was a worldie of a goal who says that i mean you know it's utter rubbish but back then they had to be really spot on with the description because there, there was no visible reference if you weren't at the game or you had very limited visible reference if you were watching match of the day or the big match. Have you say about worldies there, Steve? 
Um, I've noticed in recent years about the commentary, they, they say, oh, that's come off the head of Kane. Didn't we used to say that's come off Kane's head? Yeah. Well, what's happened there? Oh, that's come off the chest of Rashford. <laughs> what's wrong with saying that's come off Rashford's chest? There's something changed in, in commentary. I don't know what it is. Commentators are very good. But my point is, Steve and mm. Jeff, you can watch football in the pub on massive, great, beautiful screens, any match you like. I mean, obviously, the England game is on ITV, but generally it's Sky or BT mm. or B-In. And you can watch it being beamed around the world any game you want, every mm. single game, even at 3 o'clock in the afternoon kickoffs, you can watch on TV. Has, is that why we look back, and Jeff, I'm going to come to, we look back and go, oh, football was better then, oh, just because it was a big event to be able to actually see 90 minutes of football. Now it isn't. Well, that, that's absolutely right. It was, it was a big event, yes. There is also an, another thing about the difference between radio and television. Radio's like television, but the pictures are better. And the, the commentators, even back into the 90s and the early 2000s, Alan Green on the radio, on Radio 5, the most fantastic commentator. He, he, he wouldn't just tell you what was happening, which he always did, but he would, he would paint pictures for you. And critically, if something was bad, he'd say that was bad. And this comes to your point about coming off the head of Kane. Mm. They've turned every negative into a passive so that they don't insult the players. Is that where it comes I'm, from? I'm absolutely convinced of it. Instead of saying, oh, that was poor, oh, he could have done better. Oh, for Christ's sake, my son could have done better. Well, you know, what does that mean? He yeah, I mean, could have a, done better. It was, was bad. Say it was bad. Yeah, recently on Match of the Day, I, I can't remember, last season, there was a penalty saved and, and they had a discussion. Said, it was a good penalty. And Lineker said no, to Alan Shearer, you can't say it was a good penalty he missed it it was saved and because he didn't want to say it was a bad penalty or the goalkeeper was great he still wanted to justify his fellow striker it's, it's become sanitised and that, that is the point I have been making for ages fun has gone out of the game it has become so sanitised you know don't get me wrong it's a great game the fans are brilliant but it's not really the fans game anymore it's become overly sanitised everybody has to be nice to each other you can't say the wrong thing as you've just described there you know I'm not being funny a crap penalty is a crap penalty a former striker who is presenting a TV show about football can't actually say that then where are we at I support that 100% one football commentator and that's Stuart Robson who is brilliant because he tells it like it is and I remember listening to him in, in one match where uh, West Ham were playing. And the, the, so he had plenty this, of opportunity to say how bad things were. Well, well the, the, but that's, that's the point. He, the, this West Ham player did something bad and, and Robson called it. He said, oh, that's, that's terrible. And the, the, commentator, mm. the commentator with him said, but you've got to go into training with this guy tomorrow morning. He said, yeah, and I'll tell him he was crap then as well. <laughs> That's what you want to hear. I think you, you want to hear a bit of honesty. A bit on, that's it, honesty. We grew up kicking the ball around in the park. Jumpers for goalposts. Jumpers for goalposts, you know. Used to use the, the crappiest four players as, as, as the corner flags. And if you try and play the same game now over the park, you can't. It doesn't replicate what you see on the pitch. Whereas back when we were growing up, it was... It, you could you could replicate it to a greater degree, you know. Now you've got VAR and and you know. Okay, do we need VAR? It's it's an. I mean, I don't like VAR because I, I'm a firm believer that mistakes are all part of the game. Well, I'd like to 
for next week's we'll, we'll have a discussion yeah. about that next week because in the England game against Bulgaria the, the Harry Kane had the ball in the back of net early on mm. uh, ruled offside and I thought why hasn't he gone to VAR for that they don't have it in internationals in no. qualifiers surely internationals should have VAR well you, you would think but he was slightly offside ironically enough anyway offside, actually, but I mean they might as well call it VAR battery because <laughs> it's either in Premier League but or the, it's in the, the thing is why, why, why do we need it why do we need it I mean the referee spotted that that decision. Well, that was a, f- a fair one, but yeah. that's right. Aren't mistakes part of the game? Well, let's let's talk about VAR next week because yeah. we are running out of yeah. time already, believe course, it or not. Of course, yeah. Uh, but we'll, next week in, we'll, we'll talk about VAR. In, in response to, I think, a question you ask is, you know, is Harry Kane the best penalty taker of, of a generation? Yeah, I think he probably is, but then the best penalty taker I have ever seen was Matt Letizier. 48 goals out of 49 wow. penalties. You, uh, you don't really get any better than that. Penalty taking is, is one of the things that has changed most over the last uh, 10 years. As a result of Neil Sullivan of, of Wimbledon being an exceptionally good saver of penalties. And when he explained how he managed to save so many penalties, it was everyone went, oh God, how, why did we not think of that before? We had 100 years of this and nobody's thought of this before. You have two feet. Your standing foot, in other words, the one that you stand on when you kick the ball with the other foot, points, always points to where the ball will go. And all Sullivan did was he, he stared at the standing foot because you have to contort your body. If you want to do anything else, your body has to contort. You watch how Kane takes penalties. When he goes to his left, the, his foot is pointed to the other corner and he twists his body around a lot and that's why you need to practice 50 times a day because it is not natural you, you've mentioned Sullivan who was a brilliant penalty stopper the other two Seaman and Paul Cooper David Seaman Paul Cooper they had certain techniques that they used similar to Sullivan to achieve the same ends what you're saying makes total sense what what Neil Sullivan said makes complete sense as well and you're right this is why Kane is, it's all about practice 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 taking a penalty in, in, in football is the equivalent of taking a penalty or a conversion in rugby now these guys don't take 50 they don't practice 50 in a session they practice 200 and they get 95 out of 100 all the time and the reason why they practice is uh, it's all about muscle memory and it's about stress the issues surrounding the penalty oh you can't replicate that all the all the pressure on mm. the players well actually, no you can't replicate it but what you can do is eliminate it because if you know that you do this particular routine coming up to taking a penalty and it will work 95 times out of 100 half of the pressures disappeared You've taken it away. You know, if I do this routine, I will score. Steve? Yeah, there's also the added fact, just just, um, finalise what Jeff was saying. You know, you take a penalty differently in the first five minutes than you would do in the 90th minute because you're tired in the 90th minute. So you have to adopt a different approach to take that penalty. The first five minutes, you know, generally you're fresh. You're going to blast it. You know, you're not physically and emotionally drained. Because don't forget, we, we, we forget taking the penalty is also an emotional issue as well as a physical one. You know, there is pressure there. It was all over the papers yesterday um, about the England camp basically going on and on about how Harry Kane takes up to 50 penalties in training every session and my reaction was I should bloody well hope so (laughs) and whoever takes the corners should be practicing corners where's the big deal in this 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 story it isn't and and he's all right he's got nine out of ten that's a very very good conversion rate for club and country he took those they buried the two penalties against Mm. Bulgaria very confident but I would like to hope that footballers who are basically practicing football during the training 
Well, you think so, wouldn't you? You know. <laughs> Listen, guys, this conversation could run and run, I'm afraid. Jeff, you got one final point oh, on that? The, the, the one final point was uh, Steve mentioned the, the how you take penalties at the end of the match. I would urge everybody to go on YouTube and look at Kevin Pressman taking penalties, the goalkeeper taking penalties for Sheffield Wednesday. Now, if you want to see a ball hit hard and stay hit, watch that. Also, uh, Paraguay's goalkeeper, Jose Chilever, scored more, more goals than any other goalkeeper, ironically enough, from the penalty spot. Fantastic, Steve Kenneth Kenton. Let's quickly, before we uh, finish, we've got to go through this coming weekend's games. You may be listening to this podcast after they've taken place, so you'll be able to see whether we've got them right or wrong. <laughs> uh, and then we're going to get the answer to Jeff Saunders' trivia question. You talk us through the games, uh, and then Jeff and I will make our predictions, and you'll make yours. We've got Liverpool versus Newcastle, which is the early kickoff on Saturday. Now, I'm going for a 3 0 win for Liverpool. All right, I will uh, go for 3 1 win for Liverpool. Uh, 3-0 to Liverpool. That's two 3-0s and a 3-1. I don't know where the one's going to come from, but they've got one against Tottenham. OK, so we've got Brighton versus Burnley, which is three o'clock kickoff on Saturday. Now, I'm going for a 0-1 to Burnley. Burnley. Uh, Jeff, what do you think about Brighton against Burnley? At Brighton, yep. Yeah, 2-1 two, two to Brighton. And I am going to go for 2-0 for Brighton. OK, Man United v Leicester again. It's another three Ooh. o'clock kickoff. Um, now, this is actually quite a tough one to call. Um... I, and I suspect this could end up a one-all draw. Yeah, me too, I think. Leicester are a very, very good prospect at the moment. Jamie Vardy on fire, doing really well. Leicester are looking like a very, very good team at the moment. Manchester United are not. I mean, I've been saying this since the beginning of the... You know, since they beat Chelsea 4-0. They're due to do something. I think they will beat Leicester 2-1. Yeah, I was going to say exactly the same for exactly the same reason. They're due a, they're due a win and they'll they get one. 2-1. So it's 2-1 for Jeff and I and one-all for Steve. I'm surprised at that, actually. Okay, so we've got the Blades versus Southampton. Sheffield United v Southampton. Sheffield United, really good side. Southampton are actually not doing too badly. So, again, I'm going to go with another draw on that. One all. I am going to go for nil-nil. 2 nil to Sheffield United. Just trying to make it as different as we can so that we're yep, not yep. agreeing. Spurs v Palace. Uh, I can only see a Spurs win there 2-1. Well, we said we could only see a Spurs win when they played Newcastle. We got that wrong. But I am going to go for 2 nil. 2 nil to Spurs. Wolves right. v Chelsea. Wolves versus, che Wolves, Chelsea. Wolves versus Chelsea. Um, I'm going with a Chelsea win on that. 1-0. 1-0 to Chelsea. Jeff, you were saying in the last podcast, Frank Lampard's got to buck his ideas up, pretty much. Well, he, he does. He's got he's to think of something. He's got to find out how to defend for a start. And the thing that Wolves were best at last season was playing the top four. Um, they would have got much, much higher if they'd done better against the bottom three. So I think it'll be a Wolves win, 2-0. I'm going to go for 2-1 to Wolves. OK, we've got Norwich versus Manchester City. I love Norwich. <laughs> I really, really do. It's um, just a matter of how many la City Last week, I think I predicted 5-0 uh, five, five uh, Man City versus Bournemouth, 4-0. I, I predicted 4-0. You, you did, on, yeah. yeah. And didn't you predict 4-1, Jeff? Yeah, so we, we all knew all, it was going to be at least 4 We, we, we all know it was going to be a whitewash. That's the point. And to be honest, I don't see anything any different here. So Norwich can score goals. I'm going to go with 1-4 to Man City. Jeff, Man City, Norwich. Um, I think I think that's a good good call actually. Four one. Four one. I think we yeah. all agree four one on that one because we'd all like to, we all think Norwich will slip a goal in there somewhere, but City will get at least four. So four one to Man City. <laughs> Sorry, it's the first Norwich. time we've all agreed there, unfortunately. Um, first for Norwich. At right. Least, yeah. We got on Sunday. We got Bournemouth versus Everton. Bournemouth are no pushovers. Everton are looking really good. I'm going with a two all draw. Two one to Bournemouth. 
and I'll go two one to Everton. So we've got three very different uh, predictions there. Watford v Arsenal. Now will new manager syndrome kick in? Arsenal's defence is just not great. Um, I can see them conceding, but I could. <laughs> I, I, I'm being kind to. I'm, yeah. I'm giving myself a bit of self love. You're here. being like a, a current commentator. You're not saying anything bad by. Uh, saying no, I'm not saying anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think the two words you were looking for were non-existent. I didn't want to say that, but yeah, you're right. Um, I can see Watford scoring, so I'm going to go with 3-1 to Arsenal. Jeff? 2-2. And I am going to go with 2-1 to Arsenal. Final game, Villa versus West Ham. I'm going to go with a 1-0 win for Villa. Jeff's going to go for West Ham, surely. 2-1 to West Ham. 2-1, only because they've got the same kit and they'll all be confused. I'm going to go for 2-0 to West Ham. Jeff, your trivia question and the answer, please, from the top of the show. It was the Swindon versus Accrington Stanley match. Two players got involved in a fight and they were both sent off. They both have famous names. The Swindon player that was sent off was called James Dean. Right. And the Accrington Stanley player who was sent off was called James Dean. James Dean committed the foul. James Dean fought James Dean and they both got sent off. Both players have the same name. That is uh, all we've got time for. A very big thank you to Steve Kenners Kenton. Back. Thank you. And uh, to Jeff West Ham Saunders. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, Pleasure, Chris. Thank you very much, Jeff. Uh, Thank you, Steve. I'm Chris Carl. This has been Carl and Kenners hitting the bar. You've been listening to Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. Join us again next week for more of their twisted football news, all of their weird football views. You can find them here every week on Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. We'll see you again shortly.